When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Born in Red Hook, Brooklyn, in the year of who knows when, opened up his eyes to the tune of an accordion, always on the outside of whatever side there was. When they asked him why it had to be that way, well, he answered, just because. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly, and joining me for Pod Dylan number 200 is fellow Bodcat and King of the Streets, Jason MD. Hi, Jason. Welcome back. Hi, Rob. Thanks very much for having me back. And <laughs> congratulations on your 200th episode. Thank you very much. I, I, real, I don't remember when I came up with this idea, but <laughs> I was like, well, I got to do something for, you know, coming from, you know, the world of comic books as I do. Not, anniversaries are always like a big thing. They make a big thing in the comic book world about the 200th issue or the 100th issue and stuff like that. And so I, I always have that in my blood. So I was like, I want to do something fun for episode number 200 of Pod Dylan. And I thought, well, Let's let me take the bit in my teeth, as it were, and and mm. finally talk about a song that I generally don't like, which is, it's of course, Joey from 1976's Desire. And you know why? I look. It's I lean. I like to lean into the joke. Obviously, I don't. I don't like despise this song. I don't hate it. There's there's hardly any Bob Dylan songs that I really hate. You know, I mean, that's why I love the guy so much is because mm. the music to me is almost so much better than almost every other stuff that I hear. But it's just definitely one of my least favorites. And that, of course, became a thing among other people where it became a joke, where they would mention it on other shows about how much I hate Joey, and they would mention it on Twitter. And I like to lean into the joke. And so it just became a thing. But I thought, let's finally talk about it. And I couldn't think of a better person to have on <laughs> than you, because I think you will... I don't, I don't even know how you feel about Joey. We've never really talked about it. Mm. But I just thought... You, I think you will probably. You always let you manage to come up with things that make me think slightly differently than I normally would, and I appreciate that. And I thought, well, maybe if there's anybody that might counter offer a counter argument to my dislike of this song, <laughs> it might be you. So mm. we're going to talk about the song. And I did some, you know, did some research. I even watched um, the movie Crazy Joe the biopic of Joey Gallo starring Peter Boyle, which came out in 1974, which, uh, and we'll talk about it a little bit. I have to think definitely influenced uh, this song, but uh, before we go any further, like Jason, like what, what are your general feelings about this track? Okay. <laughs> can you, <laughs> can you hear in the background, you know, a thousand, couple thousand people worldwide going, okay, he better deliver on this one. <laughs> Come on. Um, well, Joey, for you know, I think you do know that Desire is my favorite Dylan record. Right. Uh, for a long time, Joey was probably my least favorite track on the album. Uh, but, you know, you're probably familiar with what William Blake said about this kind of thing, Rob Kelly. Uh, he said, the man who never alters his opinion is like standing water and breeds reptiles of the mind. Oof. With that in mind, well, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I like to subject my opinions to periodic reappraisals just so as not to breed reptiles in my mind um so over the years i've really come to appreciate joey uh not the chorus 
I don't okay. like the chorus. The chorus grates, um, but the rest of it I like a lot, and I think it belongs on the record, and I think it, it balances the desire somewhat. Okay. So in a general way, that's how I feel. All right. Uh, I, can, I will say a, a couple of episodes, actually a little while ago, when I had um, Carl Handel on episode 174 to talk about City of Gold, before we got uh, rolling, he, we, we got on the subject of Joey for some reason, and he made a comment that he always took it as that was Dylan's version of like Pretty Boy Floyd, you know, which is taking this figure, an infamous figure from American mm-hmm. history or world history, and crafting that, you know, a, a, a sort of grandiose ballad around them. And the details of it probably didn't really matter. And I never really thought of it that way. And after mm-hmm. he said that, I was like, okay, that's fair. Because, you know, of course, as, we, as we've talked about in other episodes, Desire is Bob's most, you know, world travely album. It's his most cinematic album every uh, and that was something that they leaned into with him and uh, Jacques Levy when they wrote these songs. They they purposely were trying to write songs that were like little mini movies. Mm-hmm. And they talk about when they did Hurricane, like the you know the, the the song opens with "Here comes the story of the hurricane." I mean, it's very cinematic. And so when you look at Desire from that level, you say, "Well, yeah, okay, Isis and Romance in Durango and Black Diamond Bay and and Sarah and Joey and Oh Sister." They all feel like little movies. Mm-hmm. independent of one another. When you look at it like that, you could say, okay, yeah, he's plucking these figures in some cases from real life. And then and obviously the headlines of what was going on at the time, Joey Gallo had been assassinated slash murdered, uh, depending on your point of view, how you want to use that phrase. I mean, a lot of people would say in modern parlance, Joey Gallo fucked around and found out basically in 1972. So, I mean, you know, this was in, it wasn't current news, but it was in the recent past that Dylan certainly would have been aware of. And as I mentioned, there was the movie from 1974 and we all know that Bob's a big movie guy. And so I I would almost guarantee that he saw the movie. Mm. And I know that he had been talking to the actor, Marty. um, No, that's the wife. I'm sorry. Marty Orbach, the wife of Jerry Orbach, the actor, she was writing a biography of Joey Gallo. And apparently they had spent some time together. So I think it was all, you know, ruminating in Bob's mind, even though later on there's been quotes where he said that Jacques Levy wrote the whole song and he just sang it, uh, mm-hmm. which sounds, I don't know, maybe was that Bob was maybe getting a little sick of the heat he was getting and just wanted to kind of throw himself off the, you know, throw Jacques Levy under the bus. I don't know. He wrote it. I just sang it. I don't, I don't, I don't. But, but then, of course, later on, I've seen Bob give news where he specifically has called out Joey as a great song. Mm-hmm. So obviously over the course of the, intervening decades he has felt differently about it um so i want to continue on with the, some of the verses here La- larry was the oldest joey was next to last they called joe crazy the baby they called the kid blast some said they lived off gambling and run numbers too it always seemed that they got caught between the mob and the men in blue and then here's your favorite part jason <laughs> joey joey king of the streets child of clay joey joey what made them want to come and blow you away? Now, what, what is it about the chorus that you dislike? I just, it's just the, the screechy Joey part. This, I'm not a technical guy. And like you, Rob, I'm not a musician. So I'm going to fumble around with my terms here. But it, just that when they're singing Joey, it sounds oversaturated or something. Like it's, mm. it, does, it just doesn't sound right, technically. Uh, and it's also just a bit 
there's not enough payoff there. You know, it's just Joey, Joey. Okay. It's not like Sarah. It's similar to the chorus in Sarah, but mm-hmm. at least in Sarah, it changes, you know, the, the, the second and fourth line are different each time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one just stays in the same groove. I just wanted to go back a sec, Rob, to, you know, sort of the origins of this, because what I've read and I, you know, this may be true is that Dylan was at a, a dinner party with Jacques Levy and, who did you mention? How do you pronounce the Orbach? Jerry and Marty Orbach. Yeah. And that they were, as you said, they they were familiar with Joey. And apparently Jacques Levy knew him as well. So ah. that they're all sitting around telling uh, stories about, about Joey. And I don't know, this. I did my research, some research as well, Rob. And I read this terrible book called uh, The Mafia's Greatest Hits, Volume <laughs> 2, Crazy Joe Gallo. Um, Great title. There's this one paragraph. and. I was thinking if this is the kind of thing that they were talking about at the dinner party, I can imagine Dylan saying, ah, there's some material here. Just let me, if you don't mind. Just oh, this sure, paragraph. of course. Because um, it's about the gang and it's great. For the next decade, Joe Gallo, along with his brothers, Larry and Albert, now called Kid Blast, controlled the streets of South Brooklyn. They were aided by a slew of President Street ruffians with names like Punchy, Joe Jelly, Sammy the Syrian, Alibaba, the Egyptian knife thrower, Tarzan, Big Lollipop and Little Lollipop, Louis Cadillac, Vinny the Sicilian, Roy Roy, and a midget named Mondo, who cared for Joey's pet ocelot by feeding him huge chunks of meat, walking him on a leash along the Red Hook streets, and housing him in the cellar of the Gallows Clubhouse at 51 President Street. And I thought, if that's the, you know, that's the dinner party chat... I would, I would, I'd get, I'd get my notebook out too. Wait a second. There's some oh, yeah, that, stuff here. You know? That sounds like uh, half a dozen characters from Desolation Row that you just exactly. read. Exactly. Yeah. On, so. Yeah. Yeah. I could say, I mean, and by the way, Jerry Orbach actually played a version of Joey Gallo in a movie called The Gang That Couldn't Shoot Straight, which is uh, adapted by, from a book by Jimmy Breslin. I'm throwing a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of names here, but uh, yeah, the movie, The Gang That Couldn't Shoot Straight is sort of a comical take on this hapless bunch of mobsters and that while they're not playing the actual people people have said Jory Arbach is playing a sort of Joey Gallo version um Mm -hmm. you know as a song I I agree I think the chorus is pretty pretty dire um not not to mention even there's even one point where Emmylou Harris who's backing up Bob on this song like misses the cue Mm -hmm. and and comes up late now that's not her fault really because as we've heard through up from other people. I mean, geez, I had Joan Osborne on the show once who literally talked about, you know, duetting with Bob, that he doesn't give you cues. You have to just follow and hope that you catch up. So there was one, but there is one point in the song where you literally can hear Emmylou mm-hmm. Harris be like a beat behind. And that's really up to Bob and, and uh, Don DeVito, who was working, uh, working the control boards to say, wait a minute, we're going to use a different take because they blew it. But we, we know that Bob doesn't always care about that. But mm-hmm. the, yeah, the, the chorus, Child of Clay is, eh, all right, you know, what is it? And then what <laughs> made them want to come and blow you away? As if that's not a particularly profound question or hard to answer. No, the song answers it. The song, know. Joey Gallo ran around and killed a bunch of people and, and, and treated them like garbage and broke people's fingers and roughed people up to give them protection. But that's why. So why, why, why? <laughs> Like, just a couple, just a couple verses before, you know, when he walks into the, he walked right into the clubhouse of his lifelong deadly foe, emptied yeah. out the register and said, tell him it was crazy Joe. Yeah. yeah. Why did they get mad? I, yeah. I, I don't know. 
<laughs> by, by the way, nice. you know, you got to give credit to the mob for coming up with fun names. They really are in love with their own, you know, iconography by calling you big poly, big lollipop, little lollipop. You know, yeah. come on, guy. What do you, this, you know, this is like a <laughs> collection of supervillains. I mean, what are we, what are we doing? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, the song goes on. They, there was talk they killed their rivals, but the truth was far from that. No one ever knew for sure where they were really at. When they tried to strangle Larry, Joey almost hit the roof. He went out that night to seek revenge, thinking he was bulletproof. The war broke out at the break of dawn. It emptied out the streets. Joey and his brothers suffered terrible defeats until they ventured out behind the lines and took five prisoners. They stashed them away in a basement, called them amateurs. And, you know, again, as I listen to the song and, and you listen to this stuff and you're like, well, Bob's, Bob, the, Bob's tone as he's singing it is a kind of like, like almost like an apologetic kind of vocal to it. And yet he's describing horrible things. This guy's doing horrible stuff. And so that's part of the reason I always think this song never really worked for me is that it is, it, it sounds so sympathetic to its subject. And yet, as you're just, you know, as we're just talking about, it describes the very reason this guy met the fate that he did. And you're almost just like, well, what is the point of this journey? Really? Well, that's a good question, Rob Kelly, but, I think a more important question is who is, who are we listening to? I mean, who is speaking here? Mm. Cause I don't think it's meant to be Dylan. Cause I don't think Dylan went to Joey Gallo's funeral. Right. Yeah, I, that seems doubtful. Yeah. Or that he saw Joey when he got out of prison and said, wow, he sure does look great. You know, mm-hmm. it's who's speaking. It's, it's not clear. I mean, we can speculate, uh, it could be a, a sort of a, one of the members of the gang. Could be Big Lollipop, maybe, or Little Lollipop. Could even be the Mondo, Mondo the Midget, uh, out for a walk with Joey's pet ocelot, you know. Um, could be a, like a cousin, a family member of some kind. Or I was thinking the other day, is it Levy himself? Mm. You know, because you're right, it's a, it's a sympathetic look at Joey. He's given him every, you know, the benefit of every doubt. Uh, but again, I don't think that's meant to be Dylan telling us this. It's somebody else, a, a, an unreliable narrator of some kind. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that, I mean, that have, you know, Bob does that a lot. And of course, he knows that, that he's going to be mistaken for that other person because who else? He's the one singing it. But that's just, you, you just got to, that, that's, that, that's part of the style that he's been singing from he's singing not always the person talking is not necessarily bob dylan the singer it's some other person right but yeah and that that is always the trick of when you're collaborating with somebody because then how much of their voice is slipping into it and how much of it is you yeah and it is i was thinking is it possible that you know by all accounts you know although he's a borderline psycho uh gallo could be quite charming and articulate and interesting, you know, this whole sort of post prison where he's going to cocktail parties and, and charming everybody. I wonder if he didn't maybe charm Levy and then Levy tricks Dylan into thinking (laughs) this is the the true story, you know, or, you know, what you've heard in the papers isn't really true, Bob. He was, you know, the truth was more than that. Uh, Don't believe all that fake news you heard about Joey Gallo. He was, uh, he was a much more messy and complicated and interesting person. And then Bob, not doing his homework, right, says, oh, great, an outlaw. Sounds good. And then yeah. he writes this 
this story, this action story about it, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, again, I, you know, I don't know much about the real guy. I can only go by what I have seen. And I, as I said, I made, I saw this movie, the crazy Joe movie with, uh, with uh, Peter Boyle as Joey Gallo. Rip Torn is in it as sort of his right-hand man. Paul Apprentice plays his wife or his, his girlfriend. And Fred Williamson is a fellow prisoner. Uh, Eli Wallach plays a mob boss. I mean, it's a, it's a great cast. Uh, it features Henry Winkler in his first role as a mobster. You can, you can buy that Fonzie himself. Um, it is, it's on, uh, you can watch the movie on YouTube. It's in, it's up, it was uploaded entirely, uh, on YouTube. You can watch it for free. It's a, um, it's not a bad movie. Uh, it's not a great movie. Uh, Peter Boyle, who I like, of course, played, uh, you know, Frankenstein that same year in, in Young Frankenstein. Um, the, the rap on uh, Joey Gallo seems to be that he was just more crazy and wild and unpredictable. And that's what made him so memorable. I mean, there's the title crazy Joe. Like he would just do stuff that most other mm. mobsters would say, that's don't, don't be so careless. And he would just go and do it. But again, I can, I, but it sounds like a lot of it was, he was just willing to be more violent than others. Mm. I'm like, well, okay. I mean, I guess if you want to, and there's this whole bit where, after he goes to prison and he gets released, he does become this sort of uh, star at cocktail parties where all these kind of, uh, uh, you know, fat cats are like, oh, isn't it? They're, they're, in, they're indulging in, as Lester Bangs called it, in an article about just this song. Lester Bangs wrote a whole article just about this song in 1976 called Mob Chic. And there's all these sort of fat cats that are like, oh, isn't it charming that we've got this guy in here talking about stuff? And... Again, I, I know I'm only going by the movie, which is not it's not real, but I'm trying to get I'm trying to wrap my head around this in some capacity. It's the stuff that Joey Joe Gallo says, his philosophizing in these cocktail parties is like college level stoner bullshit. You know, he's like, yeah, and there's even a little bit in the preview in the trailer where he's like, you know, he's like people respect the mobs this because we go against society's mores. And I'm like, Oh, shut up. You know what I mean? It's like, you're not brave. You're killing people. That doesn't make you particularly brave. Yes. Mm. You're cutting against society's established, uh, dictums, but that's just because you're vicious. That's not because you have anything interesting to say or any new ideas. You're just willing to just cause a, a lot of pain. Good on mm. you. You know what I mean? And so, Every time I listen to the song, as you say, I feel like Bob is falling for that a little bit. And I guess, I, not to, to put too fine a point on it, I kind of expect more from Bob Dylan than mm. to fall for that kind of thing. Fair play. But on the other hand, we love our gangsters, don't we? Uh, or at least the, we do. the representations of them. And, you know, of course, the first thing that springs to mind is The Godfather, and I yep. suppose, and Godfather 2, which I Goodfellas, would argue yeah. is superior. But, I mean, that's fiction. Uh, but Goodfellas, based on a true story, right? Yep. The Untouchables, based on a true story. Donnie Brasco and The Irishman and Bugsy and The French Connection and so on. Uh, we love these movies. Yep. And I we're allowed to everybody loves goodfellas i suppose at least everybody i've ever talked to yeah i've never known anybody who doesn't love that movie uh and those are vicious brutal people right but we kind of we kind of dig them for the length of the movie why doesn't that work here mm -hmm. like what do you think is missing from this song is it 
I, part part of me wants to say that it's because it was too it was too close that like the first time I heard this song, I didn't know Joey Gallo was a real guy. This was I thought this was sort of like ISIS, just a made oh, up okay. story. Oh, right. uh, you know, I didn't know Joe Crazy Joe sounded mm-hmm. Kid Blast didn't sound great name, huh? Not <laughs> sound great. Likely. A great name for a boxer, Kid Blast. Kid Blast, yeah. Thanks. Actually, I'm going to use that. Hey, you should use right. that, Jason. I know you do that stuff. <laughs> um, but you know, the bodies were still warm in a way. I, when mm-hmm. Dylan comes out with this, I think you can write about Billy the Kid or Jack Pretty the Boy Ripper, Floyd or you know, whatever. Or, yeah, Jack uh, the Ripper. <laughs> uh, you know, Rasputin or something. You could probably get away with that stuff. But this was only a couple <laughs> years before. You know, people who had suffered under Joey Gallo would still be around, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, is, uh, there's an Icelandic proverb you're, again, probably familiar with, Rob Kelly, that says, <laughs> distance makes the mountain blue and the man great. Uh, there just wasn't any of that distance between Gallo's end there, and his career and his end, and then the album coming out. I think that's mm-hmm. part of the problem. You know, nobody seems, I don't think I've seen anybody complain about Billy the Kid. Uh, or right. Dylan songs about Billy the right. Kid, that or Lenny Bruce. Right. You know, when he sang about Lenny Bruce, but that was yeah. you know, twenty years after. These outlaws, right? So, yeah. Again, is it just a, that, like you said, we expect a little more from Bob than, uh, you know, this is really sort of hooker with a heart of gold level <laughs> <laughs> mythologizing, right? Oh, the, the the criminal who's actually not all that bad. Uh, Although there's not much in the song that, you know, so what, he doesn't slaughter the prisoners? Yeah, wow. Yeah, what a guy. What a guy. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a hero. Yeah. Uh, or that, you know, he tries to save his family or he doesn't carry a gun or whatever. You know, pretty mild uh, approval, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, the, the other side, so I want to do read a couple more verses in the song. Okay, the, ho- yeah. the hostages were trembling when they heard a man exclaim, Let's blow this place to kingdom come. Let Con Edison take the blame. But Joey stepped up. He raised his hand and said, we're not those kind of men. It's peace and quiet that we need to go back to work again. And then there's the the chorus, which I won't repeat uh, for you. And then the, the police department hounded him. They called him Mr. Smith. They got him on conspiracy. They were never sure who with. What time is it, said the judge to Joey when they met. Five to ten, said Joey. The judge says that's exactly what you get. Now. I will admit that's a great turn of phrase. The mm. way Bob has the judge, you know, set Joey up for what time is it? Five to ten. That's what you get. I, you know, that reminds me of the old joke about, uh, you know, what uh, what time is it? Ten to ten to your own damn business. It's that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> so I like that turn of phrase. But just those two verses, like they got him on conspiracy. They were never sure who with. Well, that's that line is sort of saying, ah, oh, these cops. You know, mm. these police, they, the police department hounded him. Well, he's a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> I think the cops are going to kind of do that. I don't know. The truth was far from that, Rob, as <laughs> we've been told. Uh, you know, but that's that kind of, they were never sure who with. There are a couple lines throughout the song that are sort of murky. You know, there's this great cinematic detail with the fork and, and all that. And then there's the, you know, whoever's speaking here doesn't even know when Joey was born for one thing. Uh, Joey's answer about why he had to be that way. Well, just because again, not, not clear, a little fuzzy there. Uh, you know, no one was ever 
really sure or what they were really at or whatever the line is, you know, that nobody knows what they're doing. Uh, yeah, they were never sure who with. I don't know. There's a there's sort of the, the narrator skating over things occasionally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Either he doesn't know or they're sort of uh, too disturbing to dwell on. So best just to skip it. But I don't, especially that birth about that line about when he's born. Again, it seems like the guy who's talking about Joey doesn't know what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. That Possibly. that is, yeah, that is something else that uh, that that I feel like this because, of course, uh, you know, just on this album alone, but of course, of course, other albums, Bob has taken someone from real life and done a song about it. And you can argue, well, does Bob really care about this person, uh, or is he just sort of being a dilettante and just sort of using their name and their adjacent celebrity to buffer his own creative credentials, you know, like Hattie mm. Carroll. Now it doesn't mean you have to know someone to sing a song about them. I mean, he sang about Hattie Carroll. He didn't know personally know Hattie Carroll. Um, he might've shared a taxi cab with Lenny Bruce at some point. We don't really know. You know, he did that song, George Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, which I take as, as heartfelt, you know, as, as anything he did. And I don't think Bob like personally knew George Jackson, but there's something about this song where it feels like whoever, again, it's the singer and putting that in quotes, you know, whoever the singer is, doesn't really know these people and is so far removed from the inner details that it feels a little, it feels a little phony to me. That's, I think that's ultimately why I feel like this song doesn't work is that it just feels a little, there's so much crammed in here, even though the song runs for 11 minutes, which Contrary to a lot of other Dylan songs that I talk about where I feel like, uh, like Murder Most Foul, you know, Murder Most Foul is like 17 minutes. It doesn't feel like it's 17 minutes. It mm-hmm. goes by in a flash. This song to me feels like it's every second of its 11 minutes. You know, I'm just, when is this thing going to end? But it, and kind of, again, going back to what you were talking about with Goodfellas. Yes, I've seen Goodfellas a couple of hundred times at this point. It's a masterpiece of a movie. Mm. Do I want to hang out with those people? Absolutely not. Do I find them interesting to watch? Yes, but I feel like in those movies and the Godfather movies, they, sh- they show the equal balance of these men are charming, interesting, and you want to watch them, but they're all vicious and they're mm. deeply flawed. And so that, ba- that balances out in your mind. And in fact, you know, to keep it in like the realm of Scorsese, Scorsese did that movie, The Wolf of Wall Street, where he got some flack saying he was kind of uh, making that guy look good. Like, yeah, they were showing the downsides of that guy's life, but they were, you know, the movie was kind of saying, ah, isn't this kind of cool, though? This guy mm-hmm. did all this. He's having sex with Margot Robbie and driving around in Lamborghinis or whatever. Yeah, he did some bad stuff, but, blah, 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 you know, kind of hand-waving that. This song, to me, leans so heavily on the good parts of Joey Gallo that the bad stuff is kind of, again, like hand-waved away. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, he did some stuff, but... But he went to jail and he talked to black eyes. That was good, right? And you're like, you know, like the next verse, he did 10 years in Attica reading Nietzsche and Wilhelm Reich. They threw him in the hole one time for time to, trying to stop a strike. His closest friends were black men because they seem to understand what it's like to be in society with a shackle in your hand. If there's anything that I feel like Bob is, I forgive this term, a sucker for, is people who read in prison. Like, you, mm. he, if you go to prison and you read books, he think you, he, Bob just loves you. And it's like, well... All right, but <laughs> you read books. Good, good for you. Good for trying to better yourself. But I mean, that doesn't 
absolve you of the stuff you did. And all the stuff about being in Attica, it, I mean, I know you don't want to, you know, he's only got so much room, but I mean, it's been pretty acknowledged that like Joey Gallo, yes, Joey Gallo bonded with a lot of the African-American prisoners and they get into that in the movie, Joey Gallo, uh, Crazy Joe, as I said, the, the lead guy is played by Fred Williamson. But there's also pretty conclusive evidence that like Joey Gallo organized a gang rape of another prisoner. Mm, while he yeah. was in prison. I mean, that's a pretty big thing to just, I left that out of the song. I mean, wow. Well, again, it's who is telling us this story. Does right. he know that? Uh, he does, you know, Attica go, 10 years of Attica go by pretty quickly. Uh, he's not interested in that. He's interested yeah. in some of the other stuff. Again, whoever is telling this story maybe doesn't know about this gang rape in prison. Mm. Uh, or if he does know about it, it's one of these things that, you know, uh, just because, etc. Mm. I don't know. Like all this stuff, Rob brings up. You know, this goes back to Goodfellas, I suppose, as well. You know, good art about terrible people, let alone by terrible people. But you know, uh, beautiful works, beautiful projects about really ugly things. Mm-hmm. Is it possible? Well, of course it is. Guernica, uh, Guernica, Lolita, uh, mm. Life is Beautiful. Or have you ever read Time's Arrow by Martin Amis? I have not. Uh, okay, well, please, please do. If okay. you ever go to prison, take that with you and, <laughs> and read it there. But that's, it's about the Holocaust. But just very briefly, it's told from the point of view of some sort of consciousness inside a uh, uh, Nazi war criminal who's escaped to the States. But the whole book runs backwards. So it starts with him waking up in the hospital uh, and then it goes back through his sort of post-Nazi career and then jumps to Auschwitz. And there are these descriptions about, because the, 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 the voice, the consciousness, the, the, the narrative voice doesn't know things are going backwards. He's just describing what he sees. And he's talking about the beautiful work they do at Auschwitz. He says, out of, out of the sky, we pull in all this smoke and uh, ash and we compact it and the people yell and scream because birth is, is, is painful. And then uh, we bring them out of there and we reunite them with their families and ship them to every corner of Europe, right? It's this oh, stunning wow. Wow. Yeah, um, uh, tour de force of writing. And it's a really beautiful book about an unbelievably horrible uh, event. So yes, it can be done, right? I don't know if that's what Dylan had in mind here. And I don't know if he was hoping to sort of get us to ask each other these questions. I sort of doubt it. Again, I think he just mm-hmm. went to this dinner party and thought, this sounds cool. <laughs> right, right. The, the, the midget with an ocelot, you know. That, again, that, that is a, I could imagine that would be a detail that would lodge itself in your mind. Now, you, you said we were talking about who is singing here. Now, it's the next verse where we actually do get an eye mm. in here where he says, where they let him out in 71, he lost a little weight, but he dressed like Jimmy Cagney, and I swear he did look great. So, right. okay, so it's somebody that has, you know, close enough to Joey Gallo that he's seeing him in the real life. He's maybe not just looking at him in photos or on television. He's associating with him in some respect. He tried to find a way back into the life that he left behind. To the boss, he said, I have returned, and now I want what's mine. Uh, and then it's true that in his later years, he would not carry a gun. I'm around too many children, he'd say. They should never know of one. Oh, yeah, okay, great, Joey. Yeah, he walked right into the clubhouse of his lifelong deadly foe, emptied out the register, said, tell him it was crazy, Joe. 
And then one day they blew him down in a clam bar in New York. He could see it coming through the door as he lifted up his fork. Great rhyme. No, no lie. Great, great, great rhyme there. He pushed the table over to protect his family. Then he staggered out into the streets of little Italy. Sister Jacqueline and Carmela and Mother Mary all did weep. I heard his best friend Frankie say, he ain't dead. He's just asleep. Then I saw the old man's limousine head back towards the grave. I guess he had to say one last goodbye to the son that he could not save. Now, I will say, of this entire endless song, that that verse is probably, the last two lines is probably my favorite. I think it, it's the one, it gets the closest to, for me at least, hitting some sort of emotional mm. mark. The idea yeah. that watching your, your son... Uh, get carted off to gray to, to, to the, to, to the cemetery um, is tragic. Obviously it's like probably the worst thing anybody could imagine of, of losing a child. Now, obviously if your son's a, a vicious mobster, <laughs> you, that's kind of baked into the cake a little bit. You can't be too terribly shocked at the same time. It's still your son. And right. so that, that, that turn of phrase is the closest. I think where I, I feel like maybe if the song had leaned more towards I mean, I don't mean to be sitting here rewriting Bob Dylan songs. That's absurd. But leaning more towards the pain that other people feel having that are in Joey's orbit, Mm. that could be a way in that I think could have been interesting and not so sympathetic to Joey, but more sympathetic to the people around him that he, that they have to deal with him. Uh, but they do love him for whatever reason. But th- I always thought those two lines were probably the most effective in the song. Yeah, that's it. I I agree. Uh, there is, you're right. He could have done more with the family possibly mm-hmm. instead of just naming them. Although of course, earlier, you know, he's, when somebody tries to strangle his brother, <laughs> he runs out, starts a, starts a gang war, uh, I mean, I would like to think that if somebody tried to strangle me, that my brother would would get pissed off. <laughs> I would. Bit. I would get mad, Jason. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Rob. <laughs> no, no problem. Very mad. We'll, we'll end up in the can together one day. Yeah. <laughs> reading. Uh, bring lots of books. Reading, reading Proust. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> have time to read Times Arrow. Finally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's. I do find that. Yeah, the the father going back one last time, and again, I'm interested in who's saying this he's at the funeral you know Mm. or is he just some stranger on the street looking through the cemetery gates or is he is he involved somehow it's i mean that sounds quite intimate you know to be close enough to see the father turn around and go back this suggests somebody who's quite close to the action really which again makes it even more mystifying that he doesn't really know what he's talking about (laughs) right yeah, it's it's said, and there's something about the 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 family coming into, it, and they're all just name checked really fast. Jacqueline and Carmela and Mother Mary are like, oh, okay, all these people. It yeah. that's that's the part I'm talking about where it feels like it's it's them being a little bit of a dilettante, where it's like you don't know all these people, and it just it fe- naming them all so casually, it it does feel a little like I said about that article that Lester Bangs wrote, mobster chic, where it's just like, ooh, I. I know enough to know the names of Joey Gallo's family and I can name check them mm. in a song, but like, you know, all right. Uh, and then the, the final verse before the, 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 the wonderful chorus, uh, the final verse is the sun turned cold over president street and the town of Brooklyn mourned. They sent in a mass in the old church near the house where he was born. And if in God's in heaven overlooking his preserve, I know the men that shot him down will get what they deserve. Now, 
Mm. Okay. Those last two lines, uh, on the one hand, it, it seems like you're sort of like, well, I really hope that uh, those guys that killed Joey Gallo get theirs, which, you know, okay. I mean, they're all mobsters killing each other. Is there really a side to root for in this particular fight? But it also <laughs> kind of suggests, you know, God is just like another mob boss. You know, God, God is like arranging a hit on some guys that pulled out a hit. And it's, that's like, wow, that's kind of a dark take. <laughs> well, if, if God's in heaven, you know. If God, that's true. He does say if. The narrator doesn't even know if there's a God, right? Just mm-hmm. maybe. I don't know. I would be inclined to, to cut that verse and to mm-hmm. end with the father going back. Mm. Actually, that would trim a little time off. That would, you'd, you'd be happy about that. You'd notice yep. that. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's a minute shorter. Uh, and I think it would be more powerful to, to, to be left with the image of the grieving father as opposed to this narrator hoping for some, some uh, intergalactic you know, intervention, maybe. Yeah. Don't know. Don't yeah, know. yeah. Uh, it also, part of the, the, the reason I think the song it does feel so long is that like, the choruses are placed in weird spots. Yeah, it's not. You know? Yeah, it goes sort of one, two. Uh, yeah, it's sometimes three, three verses, and then and then there's sometimes it's two. It it, it does. It feels a little <laughs> just sort of thrown together. Like Bob is, and again that that one point where you hear Emily Harris m- miss her cue, you almost yeah. feel like Bob is just throwing them in when he feels like throwing them in, not because it's been structured. They're like, okay, not yeah. that, not that you know mathematically it has to be that way, but it does feel just a little. Catches, catch can sort of it's thing. It's like and watching when, the live versions of ISIS, and you're never quite sure when he's going to go into yeah. the, the breaks. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Whenever he feels like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, well, that's a, that's a uh, you know, related to ISIS, that's kind of a perfect time to talk about that this song has been played live uh, 82 times, which is kind of a lot for this long of a song. He started pulling it out during the, uh, uh, the uh, Grateful Dead. Uh, concerts and in fact this song appears on dylan and the dead and i remembered i can remember when i was mm. buying dylan records for the first time and gobbling them all up and this song i i immediately kind of was like Ugh, this song um and then then it appeared on dylan the dead i'm like oh bob you're just tasking me now you're really just you know now <laughs> i will piling s- it on yeah he's really piling it on now i will say uh there's some <laughs> there's some youtube videos of him singing this song and he looks like he's having a good time like he's smiling. Mm. It's more upbeat. There's, they don't, um, I think there's less choruses and you know, he doesn't have a backup singer with him. So like, they're just, it's kind of more jaunty, which cuts against the direness of the song, but is just to my ears are a little more fun to listen to mm. because they're just, it's just peppier. It's like, you know, dun, dun, dun. it moves a little faster, but still, yeah, I mean, for, think about all the songs we've talked about that he's never played live one time, and then Joey gets 82 outings up until right. 2012. He's been singing it until 2012. So, I mean, it's not even like he just did it in, with the dead and then put it away. I mean, he was, he's been still singing it, you know, yeah. in and the he, last that's 10 That's the only thing from Desire, right, that he's mm-hmm. played in the last, you know, this century anyway. Yep. But isn't that because Garcia, uh, that's what I've read anyway, that Garcia said, that's a great one, Bob. I love Joey. And, oh, I never heard that. Okay. And that he Thanks, said, Jerry. 
yeah, thanks for nothing. No, thanks a lot. <laughs> it's great. But it's kind of weird, like you were saying before, that he's, oh, Levy wrote it. You know, that, I had nothing to do with it. So he's distancing himself from it. And then his, his, his buddy Jerry says, I love that song. And suddenly he's trotting it out all the time. I wonder, though, if some of the, uh, the stick that this song gets isn't because of its inclusion on the rather dire and dreadful Dylan in the Dead, right? That it's this, that whole black hole of an album that just about everything on it. Who cares, right? And Joey doesn't help. Like, it doesn't add anything to it. It's not like uh, Tangled Up in Blue on Real Live where you go, oh, the one shining gem, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's down the tubes with all the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. You're such a positive person, Jason. When I hear you get negative, it makes me it makes me laugh. Uh, I actually have been lucky enough to hear Joey live myself. Mm. Uh, he played it on October 20th, 1994, at the Rosalind Ballroom. Uh, this this song just came up actually uh, a couple shows ago. Uh, that was the show that uh, he brought out Bruce Springsteen and Neil Young at the end for mm-hmm. the for the encore, and so he sang Joey. I don't remember it. Uh, I'm, I can only imagine my view of it at the time must've been like, okay, all right. Maybe go get a beer or something while he's, yeah. while he's singing Joey. Uh, but you know, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I well, hold just... on a couple of things that I'd like to just in, in Joey's defense. And, okay. Sure. You know, it's never been my duty to remake your opinion <laughs> at large. Rob probably why, but it's probably why. Sound well, the battle charge. <laughs> no, a couple of things. I mean, I do like, I like his story songs. Uh, I love the album. Again, like I said before, the, the way it's structured, you know, so the first song on either side is this sort of gritty urban drama about injustice, uh, at least <laughs> in Hurricane's case. Um, then you've got the cosmic cowboy adventure, right? And the, uh, the actual cowboy adventure. And then a sort of, wacko travelogue and wacko travelogue you know the, the volcano island and mozambique and then on side one sort of two love stories kind of i don't know if valley below is really a love story but uh and then very Sarah cinematic the though very very yeah. cinematic so they do sort of balance right that's uh, i was talking to my brother about joey the other day and he said he did, well first he said the chorus black uh <laughs> and then he said they should have and i've seen this a lot that it should be abandoned love instead of Joey. Uh, I don't agree. I think that w- it, it doesn't fit the album. It's a great song, but it, 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 it would screw up the balance. I think mm. I like these two sort of urban tales that start off the uh, um, hurricane is a, probably a better song, but again, I like that balance of the two sides of the album. I love there's something that Dylan can do with place names. That is, magical i just love to hear him say places doesn't even matter where they are libya what is the song on knocked out loaded where he's going to libya <laughs> i forget the song but you know you go, wow libya uh so it's got my a, mind made up i think yeah i think you're right libya? yeah i'm yeah. going off to libya yeah so there are a couple uh, examples of that in this song like red hook brooklyn again growing up in small town canada you know, I'm not knowing this was a true story, not even knowing if Red Hook, Brooklyn was a real place, but just the way he says it sounds, sounded really exotic and interesting. Attica, my favorite, just the line, just for singing, purely for singing in this is the way he sings, uh, they shot him down in a clam bar in New York. He mm-hmm. packs some, some really beautiful, sort of wistful, sad, 
I'm not in just the way he says New York. There's a lot mm-hmm. going on in there. It's really beautiful. Little Italy, uh, the same. President Even Street. Great President name. Street. Pre- yes. President Street. Yeah. What, a, what a name for a street. Uh, especially, it suggests you know, so much. Yeah. And that's where the clubhouse of these, you know, psycho gangsters is, is on President Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I do like that, the, the, the place names. Uh, and I do like his singing throughout. I think he sings it really well. And yeah. I, uh, the chorus aside, I like the little bits with Emmy Lou coming in just a little bit in the background in the verses. Mm-hmm. You can hear. I think that's gorgeous. Um, I like the accordion coming in, what he mentions in a, to the tune of an accordion. Yeah. And you oh, hear I the like accordion. The, yeah. And I like the mandolin too. Um, I forget the guy's, the, the, Vincent somebody who's playing the, uh, the mandolin. So I was listening to it on headphones the other day and I thought, oh, that's, there's some really nice stuff going on there in the background. And it does, you know, because it's reminiscent, I suppose, of Godfather and all that. Mm-hmm. You know, it manages to haul some of that in with it. So that's terrific. Uh, yeah, and I do think there are some some great lines in it. You know, the five to ten, and the yeah. father going back, and uh, uh, what else? Yeah, do- just clam bar in New York. Love it. Now, supposedly, uh, the just before. Joey Gallo and his family had decided to go to the clam bar. By the way, they went, they went and got dinner at four 30 in the morning, which tells you just a lot about life. <laughs> they're leading. Well, it dinner. was his birthday, man. It was his birthday. Um, but apparently they had just been palling around with Don Rickles. Right. Well, have and, you seen the Irishman? Yes, I have seen the Irishman. Yes. Cause that scene is in there, right? Where right. He's... Right. Um, but he, he invited Rickles and Rickles, wife to join him and Rickles didn't go for whatever reason. And so you got to think Don, I wonder if Don Rickles was like, boy, you know, I was, <laughs> I, I came really close to mm. taking a bullet uh, accidentally uh, at that point. Now, of course there are photos of Bob and Don Rickles together at, I think it was at uh, Frank Sinatra's 80th birthday celebration. So I got to wonder, did they talk about that today? <laughs> you know, I mm. mean, did Bob was like, Hey, Don, tell me about <laughs> Joey Gallo, you know, I mean, like whatever uh, that, that, interesting to me now you mentioned that apparently this song uh, abandoned love was dropped in place of joey that doesn't i've heard that enough times and i'm assuming it's true that doesn't seem to make any sense to me because as you said the songs are so completely different Mm. i can't imagine how one would be slotted in for the other you know what i mean it seems like well you're you're trying to achieve two completely different things with putting this on and again as much as i love abandoned love i don't hear it on desire. Like I could hear where would that, where would that even go? Um, now uh, there, the version that we hear on the record is a second attempt, uh, in the, at the desire sessions, apparently this song and Rita may another song about a real person that did not make it on the record, uh, were attempted first. The very first desire session was just for Joey and Rita may neither one of which neither version would end up, on uh, anywhere officially Rita May would get released as a I think as a b-side of a single mm. and then it was put on that masterpieces set which I d- dropped like $50 for back in the day because I had to get that one song um <laughs> pre-digital stuff was a lot harder to get mm. uh, I'd love to hear the other version of Joey I mean for all the um albums that have gotten the full-on session treatment from the bootleg series they have not done that for desire yet I mean there's the there's the Rolling Thunder review set 
which is exhaustive, but there is no complete desire sessions. And boy, I'd love to hear that. I, as much as I've been yeah. sort of slagging on this song, I'd love to hear another take on it just to hear what it sounded like in its early form. Doesn't the, uh, there is a sort of a sloppy rehearsal version, right? On the, on the re- review set. Yes, there is. But yeah, it doesn't go anywhere, does it? And he, he it seems to barely remember how it goes. Yeah. I've yeah. only heard it a couple of times. It's, it's nothing much, but yeah, it yeah I would love a, 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 the treatment for desire. Yes. Yeah. There was a lot of really interesting stuff recorded. Then there's uh, his, his famous pal, uh, Larry Ratso Sloman has said that they did a song called Wiretappin', which is a Dylan original and no one can found, no one can find any record mm. of that, but he said he was there and he heard it. So, I mean, I'd love to hear that. So yeah, to get the, you know, well, we always joke about that. They need to do the full street legal sessions and they absolutely do. But desire was a big hit. It was a number one album. Yeah, uh, you know, coming off the heels of uh, Blood on the Tracks, Planet Waves, and the the Basement Tapes, Bob was on a real run in the mid seventies. Uh, now he said, as I mentioned, like at the Lester Bangs article, he got a lot of criticism at the time for the song. Mm. Even back then, people were like, and Lester Bangs, particularly, who could be a very harsh critic, caustic, of, yeah. caustic great uh, great term for it. I, I can't picture Lester Bangs and not think Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm. I'm almost famous, even yeah. though that's not the real guy. I, that's what's cemented in my brain is is the his portrayal by uh, by Philip uh, Seymour Hoffman. And it's a he's a he was the last of a dying breed, don't you think? You know, you don't get these sort of famous uh, uh, music caustic music critics anymore. Do you writing their their vicious screeds about? I mean, can you imagine if he was still around now? You know what he'd have to say about I don't know the Sinatra stuff or you know, because what did he call this? The, the most abysmal. Hold on, I've got it here somewhere. He's got a really great quote. Oh, I can't. He he definitely was good at a turn of phrase. There's no, no doubt about that. Um, yeah, one of the who cares? Also, like, who gives a shit what Lester Banks thinks about mm-hmm. desire? I don't mm-hmm. care. Mm-hmm. In the same way, that I don't care what Jerry Garcia thinks either. You know, right? Yeah. Well, something Lester Bang said about Dylan's music in general, which I thought was interesting, was that he was very skeptical of the unfettered uh, hazanas that Dylan got for his 60s work. He thought some of it was nonsense. And he thought like he thought Sad-Eyed Lady was kind of just gibberish. But then later on, when Bob was getting kind of really attacked by critics in the 80s, he kind of flipped the he flipped around and said, no, there's a lot of good stuff here. And he says, those people who uncritically praised Dylan in the sixties are now uncritically ripping him apart in the eighties, which means they weren't really listening to him either time, Uh, Uh, which I thought was a really interesting point of view to say, yeah, some of it in Lester Bangs' opinion, some of his 60 stuff is a little overpraised, but that some of his stuff he's doing now is a little underpraised. I thought, okay, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. But then, but about Joey, he's, (laughs) One of the most mindlessly amoral pieces of repellently romanticist <laughs> bullshit ever recorded. <laughs> so again, you can write about Billy the Kid and you know John Wesley Harding and Lenny Bruce and Stagger Lee and whoever else, but mm-hmm. this is the most mindlessly amoral piece of repellent garbage. Uh, that's a, going a bit far for me, for my taste. And again, like I said near the top of the show, and when Carl Handel said that he, in his estimation, Dylan was just trying to write his own version of a Pretty Boy Floyd, because I'm sure people, the song by uh, Woody Guthrie, Pretty Boy Floyd, which Dylan, of course, covered on a 
on an album in the 80s is terrific. That's a terrific song. But I imagine Pretty Boy Floyd, during his various criminal escapades, hurt a few innocent people. And I would imagine if you were one of those innocent people and you lived long enough to hear a ballad singing the praises of Pretty Boy Floyd like he was Robin Hood, you might yeah. be pretty offended. And, and, and you know, just because uh, time has gone by and the people that were hurt by this person are no longer around doesn't make it better. Like you were talking about, you know, when he released this song in 76, Joey Gallo had only been dead for four years, so everyone that he had hurt was still around. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about, some, think about some of the horrible people we live with in our modern society. I don't need to name names. You all know who I'm talking about. You know, imagine if somebody in 30 years wrote a, you know, a funny ballad about, oh, isn't that, that, that charming rascal Steve Bannon? You know, you'd be like, whoa, wait a minute. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, 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 no. Let, we're not letting, you know, his, he's not getting a... Uh, and Putin, that little scamp. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that scamp, Vlad. You know, you'd be like, oh, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. So just because time has gone by doesn't necessarily make it any better. But again, I could see that that's, if Dylan is trying to write these movie-esque songs and Desire is definitely seems like it's it, it's that, you could see it. Especially, again, I love the symmetry of Hurricane opening side one and Joey opening side two, which is the yeah. the gritty streets of New York and New Jersey. Uh, going. <laughs> so... You know, yeah, it does fit on the album better than Abandoned Love, absolutely. But yeah, it's still, this is just one of these songs that I'm just like, okay, the guy's written and performed six, seven hundred songs. There's got to be some at the bottom. There have to be. I mean, it's just the way it works. They can't all and be. Don't you think that for, for Dylan, right, <laughs> that uh, I think all bands have these, you know, these sort of songs around their necks that even, you know, giant gigantic fans say okay it's kind of a, a pressure release you know if you're a beatles fan you can love you know you can say oh mr moonlight or uh, revolution number nine you know see I, i'm not a, I, I don't love everything man mm-hmm. i'm not a total slave look i don't mm-hmm. like this i think most acts big acts have something like that and uh for dylan i think this is one of them there should be a term for these kind of songs <laughs> joey songs uh Joey, what's the other one? Ballad in Plain D gets a lot of stick, right? Yeah. Again, deserve and I had I had somebody on it to defend that song as well. So <laughs> Yeah. I you know, personal taste, subjective taste is one thing, but some songs do just sort of tend to attract <laughs> generalized uh dismay and dislike. And I think Joey is one of those. Uh I don't like it just to be iconoclastic. I genuinely enjoy the song and having listened to it a lot over the past little while uh more and more actually although i'm glad we're getting this chat out of the way and i can take a break for a little while listen to something else <laughs> you're talking Murder about most foul you know exactly exactly uh yeah it, it's you know i mean again when you when you create as much as what he does you're bound to have a few that you know the, your aim isn't as true as it maybe mm. should be. And so, okay, it, it could, it might be partly because he has performed it in concert that it's, it, you know, it's Bob just being contrary, which is, you know, it has been known. Uh, yes. But there is something about doing it live, which seems to kind of like, uh, maybe in, in some ways, like if he had never performed it live, that might be some sort of weird tacit admission. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that one. And, mm. But by doing it live, you're kind of defending it a little and defending yourself a little. 
but I mean, again, at the same time, Bob's been willing to call that. I mean, he said, and I think it's in the biograph notes where he calls himself an asshole for having written and sang Ballad in Plain D. You know, mm-hmm. he's like, I was a real schmuck when I did that one or something like that. So, you know, he's he, in that instance, he's willing to kind of say, yeah, I probably shouldn't have. Probably shouldn't have done that. But Joey, again, the fact that he's still performing it as late as 2012. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, okay. Which just suggests there's something going on in it for him that yeah. we don't really understand. You know, yep. again, is he, is he writing about himself? Is it this idea that you think you know about somebody and there's another way to look at it, possibly? I don't know. Uh, again, in this thing with outlaws and generally... Uh, I don't know if he sees himself as a borderline psycho gangster in <laughs> mid seventies, little Italy. Maybe he does. Who knows? We don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who, know. You know, when he plays dress up at home, we have no idea what he's, what he's getting up to over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You know what's going on. So, well, uh, Jason, I appreciate you willing to subject yourself to uh, talking about Joey for an hour with me. I really it's appreciate it. It's been a this. pleasure, Rob. Uh, yeah, I always said, I always enjoy uh, talking to you. And I promise when you come back, we'll talk about a song that you really love and that I really love. So we can just, you know, just wax gush. Bob's car again and gush. Yeah. And, and, and in the meantime, I'll try and read some Nietzsche and Wilhelm Reich and see what happens. Maybe I'll... Sure. Yeah, when, I when, when you go to the, the big house. Yeah, me too. <laughs> oh my God, I'd be killed instantly. <laughs> I'd be killed. It's yeah, it's like uh, that opening scene in Shawshank where they they guess which of the new guys is going to cry first. I, they'd be like, "That's the guy right there. He's, That's right there." Yeah, I'm a podcaster. <laughs> I don't belong here. You no, know, I would not. Uh, would not. Would not go well. Um. So again, <laughs> thank you once again for for coming on for episode 200. Man, I my I pleasure. Thank you. Think of a better me. way to to celebrate the show's uh, 200th uh, episode than than coming and talking on with you. So now, since you've been on. The last time we talked about tonight, I'll be staying here with you. You have you yourself have now become a podcaster, which mm-hmm. is very exciting. So why don't you tell people about that show? Okay, thank you. Uh, the podcast is called Writers Read Their Early Shit, and what I do is have it started with just writers, but it's it's branching out a bit, uh, and the more it branches, the the happier I am. So artists of all kinds who can come on and talk about the the undeft early efforts uh the mistakes the the weird you know teenage poetry <laughs> etc um my brother just located for me in some drawer in in our dad's house in canada the first novel i ever wrote whoa uh, which i th- it's grade three or four i think probably grade four in entirely plagiarized i'll have you know uh and it's a Hardy Boys adventure. And I just oh rewrote the, to- the, the Tower Treasure, which is the very first one, but with some drawings that were my own and uh, you know, some, some little flourishes here and there. So that's going to come. That's coming up uh, maybe on the season finale. I'm going to share that. Oh, Things like I can't that. wait. Oh, my God. <laughs> but it's been terrific. Just that people have been, I wasn't sure how, you know, people were how precious people were going to be about some of their early work, but it's, it's been terrific. People have been really open and generous and funny. And uh, there seems to be some, you know, a relief for some people to say, look, <laughs> it's, a lot of work has gone into my work, whatever that happens to be since these early days. And it's a sort of a, a, a goof and a pleasure to revisit some of that undeft early stuff. So 
I'm still hoping to have you on someday, Rob, to talk about. I'm not a writer, Jason. I know you said you've been branching out, but I mean, there must be some. You've had poet, you've had poet laureates on and stuff. I can't. Come on, you know. I I feel like such a doofus compared to some of these people you've had on. I don't know if you heard the most recent episode with Leah Graham, but that, I, that's, little... I have not gotten to that. I'm, I'm caught up except for that one. That, that one okay, there's a, there's a Dylan story in there. I think you'll enjoy Oh, it. all right. I, I will say, I, will, I agree with you. I do feel like some of your guests are unburdening themselves, mm. uh, which is fun. But there's a quote, and I'm going to read it because it's one of my favorite things I ever heard on a podcast from one of your guests. Okay. And this was, a, I forget which, which one it was, which guest it was. It was a woman, but you've had a lot of women on, so I, that doesn't limit it down. But she talked about her early days. And her quote was, I went to Catholic school. We were atheists, but the busing was better. It was like the funniest <laughs> thing I've ever heard on a podcast in my life. I just, I was like, I shut it all down. It's, you're not going to get better than that. Just, it's just, I, I just, I was like, I want that stenciled on a pillow. I mean, that was just, that is quite the most good. Marvelous yeah. the phrase I've heard. Yeah. Gonna, the busing was better. <laughs> we were atheists but the busing yeah, was better the busing that is a better. pretty good line for a pillow <laughs> it's just amazing so yeah it's, um, a, it's a terrific show jason i i, I everyone listening to this you should you should check it out it is a lot of fun yeah it's available wherever you know people get their things but rob i was you know i've been i've been limbering up for which question you were going to ask me and uh i just earlier tonight because it's now just after midnight in, in Japan, in the future. I was washing the dishes and listening to episode 199. Ah, yes. Uh, and it was a bit weird because <laughs> I'm washing the dishes and, and you guys were talking about this episode, which, of course, hadn't been recorded yet. And you're saying, no, it's, you were assuring him, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be great. I and I had, a, I had a panic attack and I turned to my wife and said, what if it's not fun? <laughs> What if she it's just, just a slog? <laughs> she just she just breezed by and said, "It's gonna be. Don't worry. It's gonna be See? fine." I thought, Very wise oh. woman. Um, but because uh, you asked him the the tribute band question, I thought excellent answer. I've been waiting for someone to say uh, "Tangle Up in Blue" because that's for the kickoff at the tribute show. That's mm-hmm. a great choice. I thought he was spot on. But then yeah. I thought. If you ask him that, you're going to ask me the other question, or maybe you have a new one. No, 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 I'm no going to ask you. I want to ask you that. I, I, the, the, when I have someone on like Terry, who is not uh, a Dylan fan, chapter and verse, the way mm-hmm. other people are, I try and I do the the the, the cover question because I feel like it's easier for them to answer. But you, uh, I mean, you can answer either one, obviously. But the one I wanted to ask you was if there was any album that you would want to sit in on, which one would you want to sit in on? But again, you can answer either question. Oh, can I answer both? Absolutely. Of course. Okay. Because I'm not a musician, but here's what happens at the tribute show. I walk out with uh, Ray Muller on guitar because I don't play guitar, but he's a previous guest of yours. Yep. And mm-hmm. uh, so he starts strumming away and we do uh, this evening so soon, too soon, which is it? This evening, tell old Bill it's morning. Um, Jesus, I've forgotten it. This evening, so soon. From the yeah, yeah, from the uh, which which one of the Sinatra ones was that on? I forget. No, right? no, it, it's um that's on uh, another self portrait. Oh, that's right, that's right. What am I thinking of? I'm thinking of something else. Obviously. Okay, all right. Well, hey, I just think that's such a beautiful melody. And, okay, uh, deep cut. 
I just, yeah, I think, you know, just to screw with people's minds a bit. <laughs> um, but to sit, a, to sit in on, a, on an album session, I think I would go for uh, the very first album. Really? Just, yeah. Just to see him at that stage. Baby-faced. And you're all about Dylan. Burning with talent and ambition, right? But also, to uh, you know, it would be fascinating to see to what extent he was sort of deferential and, you know, in the big studio mm. for the first time and so on. He's got all this talent and he's ready to go, but he's also at the, you know, he's on the, on the, uh, right at the bottom of things, you know, who knows? That's it's, interesting. So I think it would just to see him, this young kid ready to go, but, and I thought, what would be better, that or freewheeling? But I think in freewheeling, that kind of white hot talent would be a bit much. I'd like to see that that first album, uh, just to see, yeah, Babyface Bob, you know, and doing his little jokes and his little laugh, and you <laughs> doing know, doing his Woody Guthrie <laughs> voice, doing that oaky voice that he was doing. Yeah, and you know, like all these sort of po-faced technicians in the studio going, "Who's this kid? Who's this <laughs> tramp?" You know. Uh, Watching Mitch what, Miller come in and shut the door to the recording session. Yeah. yeah and, and what did they call him? Um, Hammond's Folly. Hammond's Folly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it just to see him dealing with that kind of pressure, that kind of disdain, presumably from some of the people around him and uh, for him to, you know, he's putting his heart into it. But because that first album is so weird because there's not much, I, what, one original song on it? Is I think, right? yeah, Song to Woody. Yeah, I think. So I kind of just like to see him there under those circumstances. I think that would be really interesting and probably really funny too. Yeah, that's true. It's really the last time anybody could be, last time he was not already living with the genius tag. Because even by the time he got to freewheeling, he had already recorded Blown in the Wind and, uh, yeah. you know, it was already, he was already off on his journey at that point, but yeah, you're, you'd be catching him just, but he was still kind of a little unsure. That's interesting. That's a really interesting choice. Cause I uh, don't think it would be interesting to see him now. You know, I don't, I mean, it would, of course it would be, but not yes. in the same way. I, you know, I don't, I think he's, you know, from the minute he gets up to the minute he goes to bed, there are people telling him, yes, sir, you got it. Yeah. No he's problem. Bob Dylan no problem, at that Bob. point in all caps. Yeah. Yeah. He's Nobel laureate, voice of the generation. Oscar winner, Grammy millennium. winner. Yeah. yeah. Uh, although, didn't one of your guests say that um, the Oh Mercy sessions would be interesting too, just because of the, the conflict and yes. so on? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it said that it's... It, there's there's hardly any album if you go back and read the histories of that weren't an interesting set of recordings. You know what I mean? It, and then you know someone mm. else suggested the Woolberries sessions, which of course that's bang for your buck in terms of yes. what you're getting to hang with. But then on the other hand, like you know, I would be like, well, maybe Shot of Love because like that's that album took like 50 sessions to get done. Like in terms of how much time you're getting with Bob. That right. would be a good one to pick because you're like, I'm going to be with this guy for like four months, <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. And then someone else said, well, on the flip side of that, another side of Bob Dylan, you're there with him one night doing the whole album in one go. So right. uh, that's what I love about this, this question is that it's like, there's again, of course there's no wrong answer, but it's, there's so many different ways of interpreting it. Like, would you want to just be with Bob at like the white hot center of his fame or would you want mm. him, you know, but man, I'd love to sit around and hear five different versions of Caribbean wind. That'd be amazing. Although, of course, you know, in the the fantasy world of this, 
are you really there or right. are you like ghosty there? Like, can you just <laughs> seeing everything? Because if you can be, if yeah. you're a physical person, you can be there. How do you not step in and be like, Bob, don't, don't no, don't leave Caribbean don't win re- off the record, Bob. Come on. Hey, Bob, just cut out that last verse of Joey. It'll yeah, be way better. <laughs> and he's going, who the hell are you, man? <laughs> Get out of here. I'm, I'm from the, I'm from the Japanese future. <laughs> Bob, what? But I name is Kid Blast. Uh, so, well, again, thank you so much, my friend, for for coming back. Uh, I really do appreciate it, and I I will appear on your show at some point. I I can't vouch for how good that's going to go. Uh, right. Just don't plug it ahead of time like I did on this one. But see, this turned out just fine. I, I, yes. you're you're a ringer, Jason. We we all know that. Thank you. Um, so, uh, of course, everybody can find back episodes of the show on our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice. And if you want to support the network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts and support Pod Dylan like these fine folks did. Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, George Doherty, Joaquin Meckel, and Paul Ruther. Thank you, everybody. Uh, again, thank you guys for your support of Pod Dylan. So, as I said, this is episode 200. I'm going to take next week off. Uh, the show's been coming out every week for like the past six months. I was going to give myself a, a week off, and I'll be back in two weeks with episode 201, talking about uh, another slightly infamous uh, notch in the Dylan canon, but you'll have Ooh. to wait until that episode comes out uh, to hear it. But again, thanks, everybody, for listening, for for following the show, along with 200 episodes. I can't believe we've done 200 of these things. Uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to maybe, you know, at least 200 more. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, so uh, anyway, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. To the kids on his turf, he was a hero. I'll take an honor. To the cops, he was a cold-blooded killer. To the bosses, he was a threat. Only cause more confusion, you spill more blood. Just taking what should have been mine. And to millions of others, he was a headliner, trying to become an obituary. Crazy Joe. He was a junior executive in the biggest business in the world. 400. Service to the family is the duty. Hey, that key stuff don't pay the rent. Then he took a shot at becoming chairman of the board. How Luciano get to be boss? By chopping Masserino. Genovese pushes Castella, he's the boss. Then Anastasia gets hit. This time these old grease balls moved over and gave us some room. Set him up. Matter. Too hairy for you or Manny? Don't believe what you read in the papers, Willie. Joe, I'm telling you, man, don't be lying to me. The boys up in Harlem had something he needed. Lots of black uptown muscle. Hey, what's happening, my man? And he had something the brothers wanted. Brooklyn. I'm taking it. But to take on the family. From the protection of the new management. To rip off their money. Hey, I want to see $35 in this machine this week, or I'm going to break your fingers. To kill their soldiers and expect to stay alive. You see, in a strange way, society respects the criminal. You have to be smart. Because the criminal has the guts to go against the social order. You have to be quick. You're in Dutch, baby. You have to be ruthless. Ah. And you have to be crazy. Crazy Joe. Hey, it's like the 4th of July! Shout, man!
in the gutter, and that's where he died. It took 42 years and nine bullets. The story of Crazy Joe was torn from yesterday's headlines, and it's as terrifying as tomorrow's.